God, you, you have made each of us wonderfully made. As we're reminded from the drama and the video and the, the dancing. God, our hope is tonight that you would change us as we talk about changing our view. God, it's our prayer that you would transform us to become the people you've dreamed for us to be. Help us catch a glimpse of that tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're in the middle of our series, Change of View. And, and I'm going to really fly through a recap for you from the last couple of weeks. But, but our whole point, our whole desire for this series is that it would be spiritual growth. And spiritual growth occurs when God leads us to change our thinking. And, and we looked at this key verse, Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a person by changing the way you think. And, it, and it, it's when we start to think in different ways. that It's the way we think and make deductions, and it's the way we think imp- it makes an impact on our emotions. The way we think changes our reactions, and the way we think also forms our assumptions. And in the midst of that, what we want to have is mature thinking that's integrated, that integrates scripture, the Bible, God's word to us with our experiences, the life that we live, and our observations of everything around us. Our thinking needs to be guided by scripture, and it has to work in real life. And that's often the problem for many people, that that when they read scripture, it doesn't work for them in their life. I had a moment this last week where I was I was talking to this young couple, they're neighbors of mine, and, and I'm actually going to be doing their wedding in about a month. And we started talking about spiritual things, and, and I, I asked them the question, tell me a little bit about your, your faith background, your, your spiritual walk in that. And, and the young, la- young lady, she's 25, and she says, well, I grew up Lutheran, and I, and I used to go to church, and I went to Confirmation, and when I got into my 20s, you know, I'd go to church with my mom and dad when they chose to go to church. And I started just going, man, is this, is this it? We stand up, we sit down, we say the same things, and, and, and it doesn't even have anything to do with my real life. And she said, so I quit going. It just didn't seem to work with what I was hearing and what I was living. When her fiancé jumped in and says, you know, yeah, I grew up Lutheran too, but I didn't even go to church with my parents hardly at all. I didn't get confirmed. And he says, but, you know, I, the whole church thing, I have a problem with it. He says, I have a problem with it because it feels like the church just judges everybody. And I don't want to judge everybody. He says, I think everything is amazing and that there's beauty in creation. He says, and I, and I think there might be a God and... I think maybe there might be something even after we die. I don't know. But, but I just don't, don't see how the church works in our world. 
And he was having a struggle with this very issue, that, that what he seemed to be reading in the Bible didn't work with his life. And, and we had a great conversation, and, and they, even, they said they want to follow it up farther. I have no idea what's going to happen. But the reality was they, they missed a big piece. They missed that it's really not about church. It's about God. And it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. And what we're talking about is the change of view. The key phrase that we're going to be talking about is, as I follow Jesus. As I follow Jesus, how does that change my view? As I follow Jesus, how does that change my actions? How we think determines how we live. So we're going to jump right into the Beatitudes here. You've already gone through the first two, but Matthew 5. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went on up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God bless those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And if you weren't here for the last two weeks, I want to encourage you to go online, listen to those messages, because I believe they will transform your lives. They will change the way you think and the way you respond to things. Which leads us to verse 5 today. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. And I have to tell you, most people's first reaction to that simple verse, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth, is it's just not true. That is not how the world works. The humble don't inherit the earth. And trust me, the first century readers said it doesn't work that way because they were under the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire crushed everyone in their way. Israel was an occupied land. Hey, the humble don't win. The powerful army wins. That's what happens. And history has shown us that over and over and over again. I mean, if you move forward, this is part that isn't as exciting for us, but when you think about the Crusades, yeah, we conquered Jerusalem and, and we won back the holy city. But it wasn't through humility it was through a sword, and it was through armies, and it was through power and aggression. The humble don't inherit the earth. Go now forward for a few more centuries, and you can think of the British Empire. At one time, their motto was, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, how did that come to be? Well, it's because they amassed a mighty sailing armada, and they had a mighty army. And they conquered much of the known world. But it wasn't being humble. And then lastly, think about our own American expansion. From small, simple colonies to what we understand as the United States. It wasn't always through humility. Often we took what we wanted. So when you read that verse... God blesses those who are humble. It doesn't sound and ring correct. 
I mean, a better understanding of our worldview or of our interactions or of our observations would be God blesses those who are aggressive, for they will inherit the whole earth. Or blessed are those who are powerful, intelligent, driven, gifted, wealthy. Yeah, they're going to get ahead. They're going to get theirs. And most of us learn this lesson throughout our lives. I learned this lesson in, in middle school um, because we had a bully at our middle school. And his name was Big Ed. Big Ed had one purpose in his life, at least in our minds. That was to torment kids who were smaller than him. And he took advantage of lunchtime to do that. He would eat his lunch, and then he would look for someone smaller, someone in his mind weaker, and then he would go over and take their lunch and eat their lunch. And if you tried to stop him, he would grab you and bite you. I know, very odd, very weird. So, so you know what the goal was? When you went to lunch, you found a table as far away from Big Ed as possible. You ate as fast as you possibly could and hid during the hour and hoped you didn't get bit. But Ed was a bully. He was aggressive. And, and many of us can think of times when people have been aggressive either towards us or around us. And we go, see, that's, that's what happens. But here's the challenge. All of Jesus' teachings are counterintuitive. All of the Beatitudes are counterintuitive. They don't seem right on the first reading. Blessed are the poor. No, we can't think blessed are the rich. They get what they want. They live the way they want. They travel where they want. They get a good life. Blessed are those who mourn. That doesn't sound like fun. Very few of us go out and go, I hope I mourn today. That's not on our list of things to do. Blessed are those who are humble. And in our culture, humbleness is hard to see sometimes. The Greek word that's actually used here is perus. And it's, it's, it's actually bigger than the word humble. It actually has a variety of, of nuances to it. it has, it's humble, it's the word meek, and it's also the word gentle. So if you um, took other versions of our Bible, you'd see that that word gets interpreted and translated differently depending on which version you're using. So our NLT uses the word humble. But if you went to an NIV Bible, you'd see that it's blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. And if you went to a New American Standard Version, you'd see that it's blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And the reality is, all three are right. But they're just different shades, different nuances of the same word. So here's what I want you to do for a moment. I want you to think about the word humble and what image comes to your mind. If you pictured humbleness, what would it look like? Here's what I came up with. It would look something like that. Humbleness is having a modest 
estimate of oneself. That you don't make yourself more than you really are. You don't puff yourself up. When you think of the word gentle, what image comes to your mind? Here's the one I came up with. A little lamb. Not aggressive. Not probably going to ever bite you. They're soft. They're furry. They're cute. They're gentle. And, and the Bible even uses that imagery of gentle as a lamb. But I want to redefine gentleness for us today. I think gentleness is showing restraint of power. The gentleness is actually showing restraint when you have power. And, and the first time I kind of thought about that in my own life was the time when I had to do it was when my daughter Meredith was little. Hey, when she came home from the hospital, I was actually terrified to hold her. You know, I thought if I hold her, I might break her or worse, I might drop her. And, and it didn't happen, just for the record. I didn't drop her. There's other things I did, but I didn't drop her. But it's, it's showing restraint even though you have power. As I was thinking about this, I thought about the first dog Amy and I owned, and I couldn't find a picture for you, but she was a German Shepherd lab mix, and, and her name was Rachel, and, and she was a $50 special barn dog. All right, we went all out. We found a farmer that had a bunch of puppies, and we went out in the country, bought this dog, and brought it home, and, and she was an incredible dog. I mean, an incredibly friendly dog, a fun dog, a, a playful dog. You never had to worry about kids. But the one thing about that dog that was kind of a contrast was the strength of her jaws. We would sometimes give her a bone, and she would crush the bone and just turn it into little itty-bitty pieces. But when she played with us, all we had to tell her was be gentle and you never had to worry about her breaking skin. You never had to worry about her hurting your arm. That's gentleness, showing restraint when you have power. And the last word is meek. And for most of us, we don't like this word, or at least it conjures up images of wimpy. And the first thing that I thought of was meek like a mouse. You know, mice... Come on, they got nothing going for them. They really don't. I mean, they're basically cat toys. All right? I'll leave a few of you understood. Okay. But being meek means to be quiet. And again, the word gentle or submissive. But submissive not from a state of weakness, but from a state of power. So as you follow me, this is Jesus, as you follow me, your estimation of yourself will become more humble, more submissive, and gentle. That's what it means by blessed are those who are humble. As you follow me, you'll become more submissive and gentle. But the word we str struggle with is humble. So I want to start by just asking a few questions. Why would I want to be humble? Why should I be humble? Why 
Why should that be a characteristic I want to have as a part of my life? And, and here's the reality. If you choose not to be humble, the opposite is then you choose to be prideful, arrogant, or aggressive. And the Bible warns us that those characteristics are dangerous. In Proverbs, we read this. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. Proverbs 11, pride leads to disgrace, but humility comes from wisdom. So in the Proverbs, we read that pride is dangerous. So here's from a very practical point of view. Why, why should we stay humble? I'm going to give you my own tonight. The first one is, well, I'm a flawed human. All right, trust me. People around me that know me well enough, they will tell you my flaws. You know what? I shouldn't think more of myself than I truly am because those around me will remind me of where, where I have flaws. My wife's out of town this weekend, and, and she uh, called me this morning. She says, hey, how's the message going? I said, it's going fine. She goes, so what are you teaching on? I said, oh, I'm teaching on humility. And she goes, oh, that's a good one for you. I have no idea what she means. I'm going to assume the best. And we're going to run with that tonight. All right? But I know I have flaws, and all of us have flaws. The, the Bible tells us that. In Romans 3, for everyone is sinned. In other words, everyone has flaws. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. John emphasizes it this way. If we claim we have no sin, we have no faults, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in truth so if that's not a reason enough here's another one i found to be true just wait and here's what i mean by just wait sooner or later it's going to come around and you might get humbled i had that experience when i came here to, to rochester when i first moved to rochester i was the youth pastor for what's now Autumn Ridge. And, and uh, one of the guys in the community, there's a bunch of new youth pastors that had just come into their own churches. And, and he thought it would be great for us to get together and get to know each other. And maybe we could do some activities with each other. And, and so we sat down and we had lunch together. And he says, hey, for, for discussion topic, how about each of us share what your goals are for this next coming school year? You know, what do you want to see happen in your youth program? So one of the guys starts, and he says, well, you know, my goal is, since I'm new, just to get to know all of my kids. That's a great reason and a great goal. Another guy said, well, you know, one of my reasons is I just want to just have better small groups with the kids. And another guy said, well, I want to do some, some teaching to my students so they really start to understand the Bible. And, and when they got to me, I said, well, you know what? My goal is to be the largest student ministry by the end of this year. You know who was in the room? Doug Mathers. He wasn't real impressed. And now I work for him. See, sometimes the things we do out of pride and ego come back to bite us. Just give it some time. And then here's the one that's most important for me. Jesus modeled it for us. He modeled 
humility in the way he lived out his life. Paul wrote to the Philippian church that was struggling with really kind of keeping their egos in check. He wrote to them because they were struggling with unity. They were struggling with quarreling among themselves because they wanted to see who was the most important. So he he wrote this in chapter 2. Though he, Jesus, was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus lived out humility. And Paul wrote after that, and be like him. He wrote to the Ephesian church something very similar. I'm starting to think that all of the churches struggled. But here's what he wrote to the church of Ephesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. So let me ask you a different question. Where? Where should I find my values? If it's not in my own self-esteem, it's not in my own power, it's not in my own abilities, then where do I find my value? And you heard it this evening as the ballerina was on the stage. As she heard, I am wonderfully made. God says we're all wonderfully made. He's created us. He's known us from the very beginning. And however he created us, whether it be a ballerina or a soccer player or an artist or a teacher or a doctor or a mechanic, we're wonderfully made. And God's proclaimed that. You weren't a mistake. There's nothing wrong with you. Where should we look for our value and self-esteem? We should know that I'm a child of God. That it's in our relationship with God that we get our self-esteem. It's not who I am. It's who's my daddy. And John says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. God's our dad. We need to remember that when we talk about who are we. Who do we belong to? And lastly, just I'm a part of God's great plan. And that's important for us to understand who we are, what we're doing with our lives. The last comments he made to the disciples are summarized in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, this is your mission. And it has been the mission of followers of Jesus ever since. That we are to talk about our faith. That we are to talk about our relationship with Jesus. And we are to look for opportunities to teach others what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's our mission. So let me ask you this. When? When am I tempted to power up? When are you tempted to power up? To be prideful, to be arrogant, to be aggressive? Can you think about that? I'll give you a few of mine. This will point out that I am truly flawed. When I want what I want. Hey, I know it's not nice. Hey, I know I should probably share. Hey, I know I should be patient, but I want what I want. So I'm going to get it. How about when I know I'm right? Even when I'm wrong. None of you probably have that problem. But when I know I'm right, I tend to power up. Build a better argument. Build a better case. When I'm afraid, when I don't feel like I have control of the situation, when I don't know what's going to happen next, when I forget who I am. And what I mean by that is what we just talked about, that I'm a loved, forgiven child of God. So here's the last question for the night. And it's how. And this is the one I want to send you home to wrestle with tonight. How do I live out gentleness, humility, and submissiveness? See, that one's just going to be on a personal level, isn't it? For each of, it's going to, uh, it's, each of us, it's going to be a different answer. But how do I live out gentleness, showing restraint when I have power? How do I live out humility that I don't think too much of myself, that I don't overestimate myself? And how do I live out submissiveness to others, to my friends, to my family, to coworkers? Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus wasn't talking about a physical place. The nation of Israel didn't inherit their land back by being humble. It wasn't about geography. It was really about relationship with him. He would say the kingdom of God is near. And he meant himself. Blessed are those who are humbled. Blessed are those who know they need God. And are willing to be submissive to that. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for what appears to be upside-down teachings. God, it's our hope, our dreams, that we would become the people you've made us to be. God, help us to become gentler and humbler and submissive to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.